You are listening to Waffle, the bite-sized podcast with Paul Jenkins. First broadcast on Rossendale Radio on the 9th of May 2021. This week, ahead of Bob Dylan's 80th birthday, Paul talks to author Spencer Lee about his Dylan biography, Dylan's Outlaw Blues. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Waffle segment this afternoon. It is my immense pleasure to be joined on Zoom this afternoon uh, by Spencer Lee. Now, Spencer is... uh, well, a prolific author, shall we say that, uh, written over 25 books, has a huge amount of experience in the world of broadcasting and in the world of interviewing uh, fantastic musicians, uh, and particularly at getting under the skin of those musicians. Uh, and he's joining me on uh, on Zoom this afternoon. Good afternoon, Spencer. I, I can hear you. Oh, hurrah. And we're getting thumbs up from the other room. We have, we have taken away the banishment and curse of technology. <laughs> well, I hope I don't waffle too much. Well, that way, if you do, that's that's quite good because that's what we need you to do. This is the waffle hour, after all. It's uh, it's uh, it's chat about literacy and books and all sorts of things. Um, whereabouts are you joining us from this afternoon? From Liverpool. So you're. Yeah, in- I, I, I live actually uh, on the way to Southport. I live by the pine woods in Formby and Ainsdale, so it's a great place. I've been out in the pine woods this afternoon, so oh. all my lockdown walks have been there. So that's been great. It is nice when you've got somewhere when they say you know you can go for a walk and exercise. We're lucky. We, we, you've got you've got the woods and we've got the we've got the valley here in the Rossendale Valley it's uh, I mean one of the first rock festivals was there what, what whereabouts in uh, in the Rossendale Valley yes 1959 I, I don't think it was a great event that played there I'd have to look it up but I, I know there was a rock festival there certainly yeah there's a very proud rock history here the Astoria in particular was uh, was a was a great place for, for bands to come and we've got to, we actually had uh, one of the Hollies in the in the studio not long ago um, huh? sort of coming in to chat um so uh, yeah anyway uh, but coming on talking about your book and this is the thing is that this this conversation with you this afternoon is is going to be a very wide-ranging conversation on the basis that you have a a kind of huge amount of experience either broadcast experience or uh, as an author uh, in just looking at bands and getting under the skin of music in particular um do you want to tell us a little bit about i mean your career so far in music i mean over 30 years i believe you've been on the radio well yes i'm old that's that's for certain <laughs> And uh, it, it's just something I've, I've done over the years. I worked in insurance for many, many years. Mm. Um, I'm just doing it in my spare time, really. And uh, since, I, since I took early retirement when the Royal merged with Sun Alliance, I've, um, you know, got myself involved in writing and broadcasting full time. So I'm always doing bits and pieces. I've been writing an obituary this morning for The Guardian, actually, with a songwriter, Marcel Stellman. So oh. you, you never you never know what's going to happen. It's and, a, and writing obituaries actually is a very good discipline. Um, I mean, I write a column for the Echo too every week, and that's only mm. three words. So you give them the number of words you work to, and that's what that's what you do. It's a, it's a good discipline to to sort of tidy everything up and get it into a, a particularly compact space. I mean, Marcel Stolman, if, if anyone sees this when they publish the Guardian, I mean that's eight hundred words. And it is eight hundred words. Yeah, and, and and I suppose in a way it's, it's interesting because you talk about that job of being a jobbing writer, 
um, mm-hmm. as, as as much as you can. Uh, but there's you know there's there's a difference there between writing a book which you've got no. I suppose deadline for yourself for in terms of you know if I do, I do this project or this project is a very creative process. Whereas doing an obituary for a uh, for a paper, it's got to be done literally to time because otherwise the news has moved on. Or of course, as you say, writing a weekly column. Those are those are very different disciplines as a writer. How do you sort of balance well, you, the two? You're told you have to have it in by a certain time. Mm. But I mean, my whole life in insurance and the like, the type of work I did was to deadlines. People telling you to do things by by a specific time. And so you, you, you get used to that. And so e- even if I'm writing a book, I say I'm going to write so many words today or I'm going to do this today or, or what have you. In fact, my, my wife accuses me of, of living on lists. And I mean, I'm always making lists of what I'm going to do during the day. Uh, and she, she says I cheat by putting have breakfast on there or something. <laughs> but you, know, you know what I mean? I, I, I have lists of what I do. Even in lockdown, I've been, I've been having lists of what I'm going to do during the day. It's just so that I, I think it, if I didn't do something during the day, I'd sort of shoot myself, really. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm paranoid about doing something during the day. I, I always find it fascinating because we speak to a wide range of writers. We've had everyone from playwrights to stand-up comedians on here. We've uh, we're talking to people who've written biographies, but you know, particularly we have poets on, and we say, "When was your last collection?" Oh, five years ago. And it's like, and how many in this new collection? Oh, there's twenty poems. It's like it's taking you that long to write twenty poems, and yet you're saying about the, the kind of discipline of writing. It's well, it, it depends. It, it depends who I mean, look at Samuel Beckett. I mean, his plays are so minimal. Mm. Some of them. Are, pages long but they took him a long time to write but they were the right words it's different strokes for different folks really but i mean i i, I know i can pace myself i know i know how much i can write how long i can how many words i can do in a day i should say if if i want to um i mean occasionally you come unstuck because you you read something and you think oh there's a problem here i've got to sort this out but generally speaking i can i can jog along quite happily I mean, at the moment, I'm giving all my old radio programs to Liverpool Central Library. Mm. And so I'm annotating all of them for the library. And that is actually quite a long job. And again, I've got, I've got a, a schedule that I do at least two of those every day. And so it, it, it's been a good lockdown job, actually. It is. And it's funny you should say about lists, because one of the things that struck me about the about your book is the research that, that's gone into the book. And obviously some of that comes from your experience, maybe even talking to uh, some of these people and interviewing them over the years. But in all of your books, you have that, uh, a re- you know, this, I, I said to you when we were off air that the, the discography itself uh, and the bibliography lasts for about 50 pages. There's, I mean, it's partly because this particular book that you've uh, released uh, during lockdown uh, is Bob Dylan's Outlaw Blues. Uh, yeah. And that's a, that's a huge discography to, to cover. But it is oh, very yeah. methodical the way that you approach and you've gone through chronologically through his career. Is is that something that's important to you? Is to make sure that the facts are there and in the right order. Well, it, it's like building a house, uh, getting the discography and the the, the history, uh, the chronological order mm. in place is the first thing that you do, really. Mm. So I always compile the discography. Um, I suppose you should write a book on Mick Drake next, and that <laughs> discography will take a page, and that will be fun. but. I mean, you sort out a lot of things along the way and you make a lot, you make a lot of notes. Mm. But it's very important to have that discography to work on because you can't miss out things in the text. Uh, because people will pick you up in it and they'll say, oh, you know, you've done a book on Simon and Garfunkel and Mrs. Robinson isn't, isn't in it. Yeah. Uh, so you, you've got to have it there. 
is that the thing is is do you look at it from the point of view of a fan who's going to pick up the book and wants the full story this is not this is not a snapshot of dylan's life this is this is what you get when you've got bob dylan in front of you well uh, one of my tunes is hunter davis who wrote the authorized biography of the beatles mm. and he says about writing the book when you come to the end of a chapter you've got to say does the reader want to go on to the next chapter with you mm. and i think that's a very valid point really have you have you made it interesting enough for the reader to want to go on to the next section well, uh, talking of the next section, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little bit of a break for music, uh, and uh, we've uh, we're currently uh, with with uh, we played "Make You Feel My Love" uh, just before I had little technical difficulties at the beginning, um, and uh, we're going on to one of my uh, favourite Dylan tracks, "Blowing in the Wind." Now, um, I mean, what's what's your memories of this song? Because I think it's around about the, the uh, sixty-five. I think it said in the in your biography that you oh, first saw Bob Dylan. Yes, nineteen sixty-three. though, was when uh, "Blowing in the Wind" came out. Yeah, so and this would have been a hit at the time, wouldn't it? Well, not quite a hit, but mm. it was certainly uh, a record that we that we knew of at the time, mm. and we were quite amazed, you know, to find such a political record being made by someone because at the time, popular music was very much sort of moon in June type of things. Yeah, people didn't write about anything really serious, and then this song came out which seemed to be a very good anti-war song. Mm. I mean, you look at it now and you see that it's just nine questions and the answer is blowing in the wind, which sort of says the answer is up in the air. So it doesn't actually say very much at all. But in fact, that has made it perfect for all sorts of situations. So I think it's a, it's a brilliant song. And let's have a listen to it now. This is Bob Dylan blowing in the wind. At home, in the office, in the car, wherever you are. You can listen to 104.7 Rossendale Radio. Welcome back to the Weekend Wind Down. It's Paul Jenkins here with my guest Spencer Lee, uh, and we've been just been talking in the break, uh, partly about uh, that that amazing track by Bob Dylan, uh, but also uh, about some of your wider work. Uh, because he, uh, I mentioned at the start of this that you're a very prolific author, uh, and of course you mentioned about your work for newspapers or, or doing uh, a sort of more journalistic style of writing. Um, but you've you've written biographies on Simon and Garfunkel, on Lonnie Donegan. Uh, there's a Billy Fury book. There's a well, goodness knows how many different biographies of the Beatles from different angles um, and particularly uh, I, I saw that uh, you've, you've written a book about Pete Best the the former drummer of the Beatles um, mm-hmm. I, I mean with all of these let's, let's keep it general to start with uh, how do you go approach that kind of like when you decided to look at a particular artist how do you go about finding the people to talk to to get those stories for your for your biography well, generally speaking, I'm not starting from scratch now because I've done thousands of radio shows, interviewed thousands of people, mm. and I've done all those interviews, and they're all mine and they're all my copyright, so I can do what I like with them. So I, I, quite handy. I I'm going to do a book on Bob Dylan, and I found about 300 people in the interviews that I'd done mm. who talked about who talked about Bob Dylan, and so I got their quotes down that I got there, and that's. That was very useful because there were people like Judy Collins and Joan Byers that I'd spoken to. Uh, Judy Collins told me that uh, she was staying once with Bob Dylan's manager, Albert Grossman, and she woke up in the middle of the night. This is 1964. And she heard some music and she went downstairs to see what it was. And outside the living room door, she could hear Bob Dylan inside composing a song. And that song was Mr. Tambourine Man. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mustn't disturb him. He's at the height of his creativity here. I don't want to spoil this song. Thank goodness she didn't. (laughs) He just stayed on the other side of the door. 
but she was she was clearly the first person to hear that song that's amazing and, and also i mean how does that feel as a as a as a broadcaster for example i mean i, I I'm, I'm getting this sort of uh, along the relay from yourself but you're speaking to joan byers to start with which for me i'd be immediately going wow this is joan byers and then she's telling you this amazing story yeah, about the composition that, of a bob dylan track that was judy Gunn. oh judy sorry told me that but uh, yes, I mean Joan Byers, I've spoken to as well. I mean she she was she's a delightful person actually because I I spoke to her. I was arranged to meet her at the Liverpool Philharmonic Hall before she went on stage. Mm. I got to the Philharmonic Hall to interview Joan Byers, and uh, she was late. And she said, "I'm terribly sorry, I'm late." She said, "I've got to do my sound check first, but she said if you can hang on, you can talk to me for as long as you like after the sound check." And I said, well, the Philharmonic Hall, the sound is so good here that, uh, you, you know, it's only going to take you five minutes to do the sound check anyway. Great. And she said, so you're saying if I mess up tonight, it's all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Great humour. And so that's, that's really nice. Um, with John Baez, it was rather nice because uh, her big hit in this country was uh, Amazing Grace. Mm. And uh, I, I, I said, when we did the interview at Radio Merseyside, I said, have you have you got five minutes for a little walk around the corner? And she said yes. You see, and so I took her around the corner to to, to Manchester's Lane, and I said James Newton was the person who wrote Amazing Grace, hmm. and he used to be the captain of a slave ship, and the person who owned that slave ship was someone called Manchester, and that road is named after him. So you know, it's not nice to show that to Judy Collins, you know immediately got out her camera of course for it so there we are and uh, i was going to say and then it's uh, but i think that's a good thing is that you, you you clearly try and make the sort of personal connections with the with the people that you're interviewing to the point where actually you can you can get these stories out of them is that a, a, a skill that you learned as an interviewer over the years or is it when you when you first started you know 30 so 30 years back you're coming in uh, fresh at, at, at radio merseyside you know was it does that intimidation from these you know speaking to these musicians these big stars does so that sort of drop away after a while and you think, you know what, I just need to get to know these people? Well, you're not, tra- you're not trying to get to know them. I mean, mm. the next day, if you pass them on the street, they probably wouldn't know you. I mean, you <laughs> I mean all these broadcasters will say, I'm talking to my good friend so-and-so, and I'm thinking, no, you're not, you're messing what? But while you've got them, yes, you're trying to, you're trying to be as friendly as, as you can with them. Uh, but the main thing is to pick up on what they're saying, to yeah. hear what they're saying, and then ask a question accordingly. By all means, have some idea where you want the interview to go and what you particularly Mm. want to talk about, but listen to what they're saying and then ask a question accordingly. And a lot of people don't do that. I mean, you you get that on a lot of uh, daytime shows. You get it on television where where a researcher has written four questions for the presenter to ask. And they will ask those questions no matter what. You, you hear it uh, with politicians, you know. Yeah, this, this was I, I my mean, script. I, I mean, I, I thought this morning uh, Sophie Ridge was interviewing Michael Gove, and he clearly wasn't going to talk about Nicola Sturgeon and a referendum. <laughs> and she asked him about six times. Well, so after the first or the second time, she should know that she's not going to go anywhere and go off, go off on some other tack. Yeah, wasn't it Paxman asked uh, 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 21 questions at the same time over? Well, Howard, yes. I mean, that was, that was famous, that one. <laughs> he knew he wasn't going to get an answer. <laughs> he 
he was having fun with it, I think. Definitely. But it's a question of listening, and if you're not going to get an answer on something, you're not, go- you're not going to get an answer. I, I won't ask you the same question twice. I've learned that one. Uh, and now, to, uh, as, we, as we mentioned uh, earlier on, uh, one of your biographies, uh, and this is, uh, uh, I, I wish, honestly, I had, I had longer with you because we could go on with this. Um, I went to, to Liverpool just just about in the break during the lockdown. We we, we, we managed to get over there um, in in uh, just one of those moments where we, we'd gone down to tier two or something like that. We managed to get to the Beatles story. I took the kids for the first time. I'd been before. Um, but uh, one of the things that really struck me was um, that the amount of input that Pete Best has had into the Beatles story. Now, you've done a biography of Pete Best, and it's, uh, and it's an amazing story. And actually... You you sort of quite friendly with him? Quite fr- yes. I mean, I've I've, no, I've known him certainly over over the years. Mm. Uh, I mean, he, he still lives in the same house that he lived in in nineteen sixty five sixty six, I think. And they and they still own the best family home, eight home eight Haymans Green, mm. which is going to be a hotel now. Right. And Pete though didn't fit into the Beatles, mm. um, and he was sacked in 1962. He went to a couple of other groups, but he didn't. Lee Curtis and the All Stars, mm. but it didn't really work out. But he was actually very good about it. Um, you know, he didn't slag them off in, in the press or anything. And he no. didn't say after thousand millions. And then in 1985, um, the Beatles put their anthology out. And on the first edition of Anthology One, which sold 12 million copies, I think there's 14 tracks with Pete Best on. Right. And if he only got a penny for each of those tracks. No. And it sold 13 million. He's a millionaire. So, I mean, there's no need to feel sorry for Pete Best. He's done better than most of the Mersey Beat musicians. And he's a, he's, a very, he's a very nice guy. He is a quiet guy. I mean, they said he didn't fit into the Beatles because he he, he was a quiet guy and he mm. was sort of John Lennon because of that. But you need different people in a band. You can't have two John Lennons in a band. No. Uh, Chadwick is a completely different sort of character from Jerry Marsden. Yeah. And yet he got on quite happily in Jerry and the Pacemakers. So you don't want people who are all the same. Um, Pete, though, just wasn't a good enough drummer. That, that was what it boiled down to. I mean, there are other reasons as well. Uh, and I wrote, I wrote a book that was originally called Drummed Out and is now called Best of the Beatles. And the idea of that book was to write it like a sort of Agatha Christie mystery, mm. where I was just concentrating on him being sacked and why was he sacked. And that, that was quite a that was quite a fun book to write. Um, unfortunately, Pete didn't really like. So I got lots of people quoted about Pete there, and some of them said that Pete wasn't a good drummer in it. <laughs> some of them said he was, of course. Yeah, of course. People who said he wasn't, but there we are. Well, isn't it, wasn't that even the, the famous quote about Ringo that Ringo's not even the best drummer in the Beatles? So that's well, uh, according but, to Paul. <laughs> I don't think that. I, I think you, you you'll find it difficult to find that quote. I've never found it. I I think that's a made up quote. Actually. It, it might be a made up quote, but at the same time, I think it's oh, it's uh, kind of reflective of that whole kind of aura of the of the yeah, Beatles, isn't yeah, it? Of the what is what is odd now and what is great now is that Pete Best's niece, Leanne Best, is one of the best actresses in the country. Yeah, being with the National Theatre, she's often on TV. She was doing a, a one-woman uh, play on the BBC a couple of weeks ago, and she is really, really good. And it's interesting because if you're an actress, I mean, you're being rejected for parts the whole time, and so she must have got some advice from her uncle about being turned down. <laughs> 
Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you this afternoon, Spencer, and, uh, and we'll, we'll come on to your final music choice in a second. Um, just uh, just for the listeners, though, because obviously, I mean, I, I want to direct them to, to your, obviously, your, your Dylan uh, book uh, that, that, that's currently out. But of course, you know, I've just looked here. I mean, I, I, there must be, is it over 25 different books you've written? It, it's, hard, it's hard to tell, actually, because <laughs> books, books are reprinted and they're given different titles mm-hmm. and books are updated, you know, and I, I, I would think starting from scratch is about, about 25 books, but I, I don't really know what counts as it were. <laughs> Well, uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll just ask, uh, just just Google Spencer Lee because you're going to find a, a, a vast array of stuff. Um, and uh, your, your new book, who's the, the new book published by? It's published by a company called McNitter and Grace. Excellent. They, right. they had a very big book uh, a few years back called Tin Ring, which was an extraordinary story about Ostrich. And uh, they made a very good job for the book. The cover, look, the cover looks great. I mean, there are quite a few books out for Bob Dylan's 80th birthday, mm. but I actually think the cover about Lord Blues uh, is way ahead of the others. It's a fantastic portrait of him. It's uh, it, it really does sort of capture him in that 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 kind of uh, that sort of. I think it's about mid 60s kind of photo, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's taken by Harry Goodwin. He took it in Sheffield. Mm. Dylan didn't want to. It, they wanted some stills for Top of the Pops when they put the top ten up. Oh, know. okay. And uh, he went al- he went along uh, to take the picture at Sheffield, and Bob Dylan didn't want to be photographed, and he he sort of uh, did a, did a double take on him, and Bob Dylan shot his eyes open when uh, it flashed twice, and as a result, he got the picture. <laughs> it's, it's 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 a stunning cover. It's it's gonna it's a fantastic book. Um, it is called Outlaw Blues. Have a search for it online, and you'll be able to find it very easily. Um, it's available on Kindle, and it's available in paperback as well. Um, you've chosen like a Rolling Stone for us to finish. Um, why why this track? Well, this is the anthem, isn't it? This is such a fantastic song. Um, we now know um, from the Tulsa archives that Dylan, Dylan wrote about twenty five verses for this song. So <laughs> It, it, it was a really long job, but the lines are just so wonderful in it. They pour out of him. It's really effective. Um, you feel there's really someone at the other end that he really wants to slag off. And it, it, it's beautifully done. And I, I love the phrases in it, the, the Napoleon in rags and uh, such like. And the sound is great. Al, Al Cooper, who could hardly play the organ at the time, he thought he was going to be playing guitar on the session, but uh, found himself... Uh, playing the organ and it and but it was a sort of basic organ and it just fitted in with the sound that it wanted it's a brilliant track and you've been a fantastic guest thank you very much spencer lee we'll speak to you again very soon here's bob dylan to finish 104.7 rossendale radio and there you have it. We come to the end of another Waffle the Bite Size podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And it was an absolute delight to speak to Spencer Lee about his life in radio and his particularly his book about Bob Dylan uh, and the, the way that he's really got under the skin of uh, one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Uh, we will be back, of course, with another guest next week. Um, stay tuned for that. So I, all that remains for me to say is thank you very much to everyone at Rossendale Radio uh, for allowing us to broadcast each week. And of course, to Melanie Kemp for all of her work editing and producing Waffle, the bite-sized podcast. We'll see you very soon. Stay safe, everybody.